0: Then Naomi rose, arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go. that she was determined to go with her, she said, No more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem, sat at the beginning of barley harvest. This is God's word.
1: Dante, thank you. Uh, Every once in a while, there's a Bible reference with a little letter, and when you copy and paste the whole thing, and and an S is the little reference, and it lands in front of the word at, you get the word sat, and you don't see it, and uh, I did that to you, and I'm sorry. That's why you were like, this is the worst sentence ever written. How could this be God's word? It was my fault. So, uh, hey, thanks for coming, and uh, let me just say a brief prayer, and we'll jump in. Father in heaven, thank you for the chance to be here with these people, for bringing uh, the Mexico team home safely, and I pray that you would speak through your word and through me by your spirit, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So the book of Ruth, uh, we're kind of taking a quick look at this. We are in a series about love, and today we're thinking about why we would love. Foreigners, And I don't really think when I look out at you all that you're not loving foreigners. This is not a talk because I, I don't think that's something you all want to do. I think you do. Um, but there's a, there's a lot to this. This is something we're, we're called to. Um, the book of Ruth is really incredible because this is a story of someone who is outside of God's people who ends up converting and becoming uh, Jewish Actually becomes a very key person in uh, the genealogies of King David and of Jesus Christ, and so and and hence is in the Bible, um, and it's uh, and it's also testifying to what the Bible ends up saying that the kingdom of God is made up of people of all tribes, tongues, peoples, and languages, and this is a moment where one of those people enters in. So that's kind of why I chose to uh, to talk about it, and the more I studied into it. The better it got, the more interesting it got to me. So, the Book of Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite, and she was a foreigner to God's people. And this book is located in the period of the Judges. So, if um, if you've been really devout this year, like Josh and Jules and my family, we've we're behind in our Bible reading, but we have gotten through Judges. Okay, yes, and you guys too. I, I've heard. So you read the Judges and the, the period of the Judges is a very rough time for Israel. It's very complex. It essentially um, is the, the nation of Israel has been delivered into the Promised Land. I'll go a little more into this, but they're spiraling down into utter disaster. And that's when the book of Ruth is set. It's actually happening at the early end of that time. And Moab, uh, when you're reading the book of Judges, is one of the enemies of God's people. They're one of the people in Canaan that, that the people of Israel were supposed to displace out because they were idol worshippers. speaking of idolatry, um, and they did not do that, and they are now uh, one of their enemies. So probably the most famous words in the book of Ruth are, where you will go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God my God where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And you hear that. There's a there's an old Christian song um, about this, using these, these words that kind of is, it, it's this moment where somebody just really, they love someone, and they want to be a part of God's people. And these are the words of Ruth, you know, choosing to stay with her mother-in-law and to enter into a people that she um, she has only known through this one family that came into her part of the world, of the country. Um, and as I mentioned, she becomes a part of the family of David and Jesus of Israel. So I, I want to look at the way that love shapes this particular story. And and I think there's some really interesting stuff uh, when we get in there that, that's been a surprise to me. And I want to draw some little... Um, applications from our Mexico trip. So I'm just going to show you the beach um, so you all want to go next time. We were there constantly, pretty much the whole time, right? Everybody, yeah, like all the time. Yeah, no, we, <laughs> briefly. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I want to draw some applications from our Mexico trip. So when you approach an ancient piece of literature like Ruth, like the book of Ruth, you can read it in different ways. You can look at it like a theological scientist, and you're gonna try to figure out what this teaches us about God. And so you might ask questions about the genealogy, and you might go, what does it mean that Ruth you know, ends up being the great-great-grandmother of King David and of Jesus, and how does this all fit, and what does that mean? What does this mean about concepts like the will of God or the sovereignty of God? What does it say about that? So you could look at it trying to figure out an answer to one of those quests. You could look at it as kind of a historian and you could be really curious about the cultural practices or the situation and, and say, what, is it, what does it mean that, they're, um, you know, that the Moabites are, are in this story? Where are we at in the book of Judges? What does it mean to be a kinsman redeemer? That's after the section we read. But Ruth ends up meeting her future husband, who's a great landowner, and he's a kinsman redeemer, and he redeems land and her. And that's all very interesting, um, how all that worked in an ancient context. But tonight, I want to look at it as a person uh, sent out by God on a mission, uh, a person who's trying to discern what God calls us to do. And as such a person, as a missionary, if you will, I want us to look at this book and say, what does it teach us as we take out the, the identity we have as God's people, just as Naomi and her husband did when they left Israel? They they were identified with God, they were God's people, and they went into a foreign land. What does it mean to carry that identity out among people who do not worship this God? What does that What does it mean? What does it look like? So Um, you're not just a missionary if you went on our trip, by the way. There is no category of missionary in the Bible. That's our category. Um, Everybody who follows Jesus carries that identity everywhere you go. So if you even have an inkling of faith or you want to follow Jesus, you are on this mission. You just are. So we, uh, we just got back from Mexico too, and I think we learned some parallel stories. So I'm going to kind of weave back and forth between Ruth and Mexico and ask questions about what it means to be on God's mission. I want to talk about the settings, the one we see in Ruth, the one we experience in Mexico, the role of feelings. That was a really interesting parallel to me, the role of feelings and what all of this might mean for our calling, our mission as God's people. So a little bit more about the setting of Ruth. I mentioned some of it, but... I'll reiterate some and tell you some more. Ruth is about the early period of the Judges. Uh, The Book of Judges chronicles a period after the death of Joshua. So if you're in the Bible story, um, there's some of the great patriarchs and they end up in Egypt um, after Joseph becomes kind of a high commander um, in Egypt during a famine. Um, Eventually Egypt begins to oppress Israel with time and they put them to slave labor and God promises to deliver them out of that slave labor. And he does so in incredibly powerful ways. Um, Ways that cannot be explained, that could never be of themselves. They would never look and say, we did that. It was clearly of God. And when they were delivered out, they were given a leader, Moses. And then Moses had a successor named Joshua. And they were not only leaving Egypt, but they were going to a land that God had promised that they would end up in at some point. And Joshua actually had this really profound name, which was the Lord saves. And he was the one that finished the journey and took them in to Canaan. And that's where they are when we find them now. And they were going to be living in Canaan in peace and harmony, as long as they kept their end of the bargain and they worshiped the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and loved their, na- their neighbors themselves, which they did not do. So things are unraveling at this point, and they're suffering the consequences of not um, being faithful to their Savior. Um, quick aside, if that sounds at all familiar, that's an exact parallel to the situation we're in. God gives a salvation that you can never deserve or accomplish by yourself, and then you're supposed to look to him because he is so good and powerful and give him your heart. You don't work your way into being a Christian. You are saved in a way that you could never conjure up yourself, and then you look at that salvation and you, and you let that fuel you to love God and to change the way that you live. And if you do not love God, the repercussions of that will be all the effects of worshiping other things. And life can still be hard, even when you have faith. And sometimes that's actually pointing you back to God who is better, okay? So, nothing's really changed that much. Um, In Judges, the first judge, his name is Othniel. And so, this is the period in which Ruth was living, in which this book was written. And then the next judge, his name is Ehud, And he pulls off one of the most famous assassinations in the Bible. Um, Or, yeah, yeah, Ehud. And he was left-handed. It's when you read the book of Judges, this is like the gnarly story. He's left-handed. He had a double-edged sword. There's this king, Eglon, who is a giant, uh, very fat man. That's what it says. He's a very fat man. And uh, Ehud comes in, and there's this moment where he says, hey, I have a secret for you, and everybody leaves the room. And he, and the secret is my knife in your belly, by the way. And he's so fat that they uh, couldn't even see the knife, and, and uh, Ehud couldn't get it back out. He lost his really nice knife um, inside of uh, the big, fat king, and that king uh, died while his uh, servants thought he was using the restroom. Um, because he was just taking a long time. And they discovered him dead after Ehud had run away. Well, Eglon, this big fat king, was the king of Moab, okay? So this is Ruth's people. That, that's their king. And they are the ones that Israel is actually, like, in conflict with immediately after Ruth's lifetime. So that story of the crazy two-edged sword and the big fat man... Um, is, is Ruth's people shortly after she had become an Israelite, which is just to put it into perspective. Now, what's shocking about the book of Ruth, when you read it, is this. Like I said, God's people had been delivered from their, their slavery in Egypt with this promised homeland of Canaan that they would possess if they were faithful to God. They were forbidden from merging with other cultures, with the nomadic tribes, because if they were to be faithful to God, God knew they would be susceptible to idolatry, and they couldn't handle assimilating with these other people. They needed to stay just utterly devoted to God. So he said, don't, don't marry into these people. Don't merge your identity with these people. Um, so they were, were not to assimilate in, though they could receive somebody in if they became a follower of God. Somebody could convert, okay? But here we are in the book of Judges, Israel has entirely failed at this. They are divided from one another. They are not following God. They've already adopted the idols of the other nations, and they have ceased to set their eyes on God and worship him. They've worshiped the the things that they produced. They've worshiped their crops. They've worshiped their sexuality. They've worshiped their own desire to have power. And God gave them over, the book of Judges says, Um, And not just in in political ways, but he gave them over to their enemies. He gave them over to the effects of their practices in spiritual ways and in concrete ways. Um, And they served those masters and they received what those masters gave to them. So, what should shock us about the book of Ruth is this, and it wasn't in our reading, so I'm going to read it to you. This is before what we read. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah, you know, that sounds familiar, right? If you've heard the Christmas story, there's a lot of stuff going on here, but a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of their two sons were Mahon and Chilion, and they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. This is very shocking because people, God's people were so unsafe and starving in Israel where God had promised that all their needs would be met in Canaan. They are suffering so much there due to, due to famine and probably a lot of other factors that they actually have to go and sojourn or take refuge in enemy country. Like enemy country is better than with God's people. That would be, the parallel now would be that the atheist club is better than church. Like that would be where you'd be safer, right? Like that's what this was like, okay? So that is shocking. That should, we should read that and go, how, like why? Why is this happening? Why is there a famine in the land? Is it environmental? Is it because of all the war and all the dysfunction and all the, the, everything, their society is falling apart? Probably all of that. I don't know if it's just rainfall. When you're at war constantly, when you are like living dysfunctionally, you're not keeping up with things, and things start to not work the way that they should. No Israelite, when they were being delivered from Egypt, would have ever imagined that they would find refuge in Moab under big fat King Eglon and his iron fist or jello fist or whatever. (laughs) He, He was a big guy. They never would have imagined that that's where they'd go to be safe, right? So Naomi and Elimelech go there. They go there to find refuge and they have their ups and downs and they do find refuge but then Elimelech dies Naomi's left with her two sons who married these Moabite women, which was maybe not what you were supposed to do, um, Orpah and Ruth. And then both sons die as well. And that's our setting, is this Israelite family in Moab. All the men have died. And if all the men have died in an ancient civilization, you are impoverished. Now, three women, this is, a, this is poverty. And there's no hope. You're Like Naomi said in our reading, I'm not going to be able, you're not going to be able to marry my next son. So like, there's no future for this family in the way that they lived, in the, in the way that they got along. This is poverty, and they're absolutely overcome by grief. So now to Mexico. Uh, down in Sonora, we, we encountered a unique setting as well. This was the house, two houses down from, I actually really liked it because it's got this... Uh, It's got this kind of nautical little theme going on to it. Um, But we encountered a unique setting. We made friends with a a guy named Leo, who I'm going to talk about a couple times. He worked for one mission, the agency. And when he was 13, he made his way up to America by train. Cruz, you can correct me if I get any of this wrong. From from way down south, and he ended up in Los Angeles via Texas. um, And he got into gangs and drugs, ended up being deported and now he's living in Penasco. Um, but before he was deported, he came to know the same God that we worship here. He's a, our brother in Christ. And uh, the kids on our trip got to know him and his dog. What was the dog's name? Joker. Joker. Yep, that's right. Um, and, and we got to know this guy. And we learned here's, here's a guy who, why is he here? His story is so... Surprising, right? It's not like he, he came up to the United States to take refuge, he can't be in the United States anymore. Now he's taking refuge in like the border regions, that's where he's decided to live, where there's work and there's some safety. And then there's all this other stuff going on. The kids noticed the trash, there are lots, there's lots of trash, and a lot of houses in rough shape. And that led us to, to ask some questions and some hard ones, like why is this happening? What factors cause all of this to happen? Um, Is it spiritual? Is it about their inner life and their motivations? Or is it the systems that are in place? Is it the corruption, the lack of rules, the lack of access to resources and services? And when you talk to Leo, he kind of talked about all of it. He would talk about the, the new president who was a little bit better in his opinion. He would talk about political issues, but he would also talk about spiritual issues and longstanding even like darkness in certain parts of the community that he saw like affecting things. Um, the family we were building for had roots back to the Aztecs, and we had a little bit of conversation around what that would be like to, have, to be somebody who was your great ans- your ancestors were the world power, and now you sell bracelets on the beach and you make $100 a week. Um, but their, their culture, Leo was quick to say, had a lot of darkness in it. Um, similar to Ruth, there's a lot of what you could call famine of resources in Sonora. And there are many causes for that. Um, and I don't mean famine like you can't buy bread. You can, there's bimbo bread everywhere. But there's a lot of stuff missing. There are a lot of things that aren't fitting together that aren't done well. And there are many, many reasons for that. Some of it's spiritual. Some of it's political. Um, so I think everywhere we go, we're gonna encounter believers, and we're gonna encounter complexity of what's going on here and why. So now, I'm gonna flash back to ancient Canaan, and I wanna talk about what happened uh, with Ruth and her mother-in-law. So Naomi now is living with just her Moabite daughters-in-law in Moab, in this foreign country, and she hears the famine in Israel is over, and she decides to go back. Um, like I said, this, it's still not better in Israel. In fact, it's going to get like, exponentially worse in Israel when we look at the timeline. But it's, the famine has ended. So she's going to go back. And as, as a missionary studying something, you'd go, what would she do with these two girls who she cares about, who married into her family? She would want them to follow God, right? Like, Wouldn't that be a high priority for her? And so she shocks us again. She gives us another surprise when she turns to them and says, why don't you go back home? Like, there's not going to be any husband coming from my family for you. You're going to have no livelihood. Why don't you go back home? And when Orpah decides to go back home, it's clear that she actually, like, goes back to her other gods as well. And Naomi comes to Ruth and she goes, look, your sister went home, back to her family, back to her other gods, you should go, you really should go, what an evangelist, right, incredible, like, have you ever tried that, like, talking to one of your friends, and going, hey, look, Islam, you should really do it, like, you really should go, like, they have great options, they have a way better, like, they're way more devout, they're way, like, more organized, go over there, it would really, no, I mean, that's, you're like, what's happening here, It's kind of shocking, but probably the reason for this is for them to go back to their families, for so many reasons, provided everything that they needed. It provided the shelter they needed, the potential to remarry. Um, Families uh, practiced family decision-making, so by nature, if you went back to your family, you would go back to their religion. That's just, it is what it is. And I think Naomi wanted the best for these two women. She wanted them to, to have a livelihood, a future. And she was really thinking, this is your best option. Like, otherwise, you're literally going to have nothing. And she wants them to have a chance. And what you see in our text today is that they responded to her with just utter love. Like, they, they wept. I mean, even Orpah, who decides to go back, does it in, in utter grief. Like, that she has to leave this woman who's been so... Important in her life, and Ruth can't let her go. She clings to her. She can't. She can't do it. She's like, "I will be with you, uh, and even if we die, I will be with you." Um, this is this is a moment where two, these two women feel deeply loved, even though it seems to defy like strategy. They feel deeply, deeply loved, and then, <clears throat> as if to make um us scratch our heads even more as potential missionaries. um, Naomi expresses her feelings about God. And God, she says, is against her. (laughs) Like, and that's a surprise. Her testimony, her story is God has been against me for a long time. He's taken all of my loved ones away from me, she says. It's like this bleak outlook, and there's no part where she says, but I'm sure it's for a reason, or, you know, all things work together for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, he's coming later, but she doesn't. She just says, his hand's against me. It's almost like, watch out. Like, you sure you want to come back and deal with what I'm dealing with? But I also don't think it was bleak. I think she had enough room in her theology, Naomi did, for there to be a good God who could withhold something from you, and for you to be angry about it and hurt by it without losing your faith. And I think that there's more space in that theology than a lot of us hold. And I think we should hold that much space. But, but she shares it. She's honest with her daughter-in-law about how she feels like God's against her right now. And that leads me to ask, like, why is Ruth so compelled to go with her? Not only with her, but to worship her God. Like she didn't she didn't say you really should it would really be better I'm really worried about you if you don't come. She said you should go and I feel like God hates me. What makes you choose to cling to and go with somebody like that? Love. Ruth felt like this woman loved her. Like Naomi was in a dark place. But Ruth Knew she wanted what was best for her. That she loved her deeply. I I think what we're seeing here is a person who feels this deep connection. Probably understood Naomi's grief. a, A connection that went stronger than her family ties. That went stronger than a potential, you know, like successful future. And and that connection involved this God who you could be angry with, and like feel pushed away by. Like His hand is against you. I think at this very moment where it seems like Naomi is risking too much as one of God's people by offering Ruth the opportunity to leave her and leave this, this faith, I think in that very moment she won Ruth over. She run, won Ruth over because of how much love she was extending to her. And, and I don't think that whole exchange would have received the amount of explanation it did unless we were supposed to learn something from that. One of my favorite things, um, and I'm so proud of our group uh, in Mexico for this, is that the family really, really liked us and enjoyed us. And we, we learned a little bit about this on the last evening that um, this family is kind of a reserved family and, and hasn't been really talkative, um, especially the son. And this time at the end, they like spoke right up that they really enjoyed being with our group. And that was a surprise even to the leaders. And the reasons that they gave, um, what the main reason was what we felt like we were the worst at, which was that we communicated with them so much. And like, you know, Andrew gets like 20 Jesus points for this, for sure. Cruz, 21, 19. 20, I don't know, it's close, It's really close. Um, But we all just were trying to hack through Spanish. Michaela is the most proficient, by the way, in case you want to know. Um, She was able to actually communicate. Um, But we tried. We gave it a shot. We sat there and we hacked through probably really ridiculous sounding sentences, attempting to learn things about this family and to have some conversation. Um, For me, my big move was playing like top 40 Mexican music on my phone. I think the kid loved that, so you're welcome, I, I did my part. Um, but I think they felt like we cared. And like our group did such a good job, like you guys really did a great job with that. Uh, Cruz's new buddy, they're like talking on WhatsApp right now, I think, um, and uh, you know, he he liked it. He, the son liked Abby a lot, let's just, but that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> Um, and then at the end, uh, Cruz, I, we, we had a chance to kind of speak, speak with them through a translator and Cruz took a step to encourage him, um, to like walk with Jesus. He'd asked him about if he was going to church and kind of said, like some friendships have this deeper level, like a kingdom relationship. And I want to know you in God's kingdom. Like, I hope you're there. And Cruz, like what you did so well in that moment was you didn't give him something that was like, hey, this is a fact, change your mind. You told him, I want to know you, and I want to see you in the kingdom of God. Like, it was about knowing him and caring about him, and I think he could feel that, and I felt it when you said it. Like, that was, that was exactly right, because it was about him. It wasn't just about a conversion, It wasn't just about him getting facts. So, well done. Sometimes we want to divide human beings up too much into their religious interests, their work, their place, their personal life, and we think we might speak to just one of those. It's not the way people work. Most people come to faith because, and this is just a fact, most people come to faith because they were invited by someone they know and trust. I think a lot of the people we're most nervous to talk to about Jesus are the ones who we know and trust, but that's where most, of, most conversions happen is through a known and trusted person, and there's a reason for this. Um, what does that mean? It means that in a, no, in, a, in a relationship where you're known and there's trust, the feelings are engaged. It's more than just facts. It's I want to know you. I want to be with you. I want to see you. I want you there. It means that all the auxiliary stuff that happened in Mexico, like having fun, the music, dancing at fiesta night, sharing the things that we shared, attempting to speak the language, um, you know, trying to be generous, um, is powerful in God's mission. And if God has called us to invite people in, we're going to have to do that holistically, the whole thing. So uh, so a couple more things about what that means for us, um, and back to Ruth for a second here. Um, the story of Ruth goes well. I mentioned this. Ruth comes with Naomi. She's poor, and she's gleaning wheat. And this is, this is an interesting practice of social justice. I will explain this. But um, landowners in ancient Israel were not allowed to maximize their profits. They were actually restricted from it by law. Um, So they were not able to harvest their field all the way to the edge, which would be to maximize their profits. They had to leave some of it. And then the poor in the community were invited to come in and harvest from the edges of the field. And that's an ingenious strategy. If you just think about it and all the writing that's been done on like poverty and such, this leaves responsibility for the poor with the rich It doesn't allow for a bootstrap mentality where you say, I worked hard, so you work hard. It doesn't leave room for that. There's a responsibility for wealthy people to not maximize their profit. Um, But it maintains the dignity of the poor in that they work and that they earn what they have, and they understand that it's because a wealthy person left it. And so the relationship remains intact between the the classes. And this is all off-kilter, in our societies, by the way. Actually, Mexico is better at this than America. When you drive through the neighborhoods in Rocky Point, there will be a very nice two-story house next to a tiny little one-story shack. Why? Because they're not, they don't always distance from one another. In our context, all the nice two-story houses are in one zone. The shacks are like, you can't see them. They're somewhere else, right? Um, so the, if you just think about the genius of God in that, there's responsibility on the wealthy, responsibility on the poor, and relationship between the two. And that's pretty wise. Um, and speaking of relationships, that's exactly what happens with Ruth. She's gleaning because she and Naomi are poor. She's gleaning the fields of a man named Boaz who kind of notices her. And uh, there's this whole kinsman-redeemer thing, and you can go research that if you want. Um, and, uh, but But essentially she ends up coming up with a strategy, and Naomi helps her uh, how she could actually legitimately marry this guy. And he uh, figures it out at some point, and he's pretty pumped, and they get it done. And uh, Ruth and Boaz, and they have a kid named Salmon. You know? It's not salmon. I mentioned this the other day. Not salmon, John. You can't wear your salmon shorts and think you're representing this guy. But uh, Salmon, and it leads to King David, and it goes on and on to Jesus. So... Um, because of that relationship between the wealthy and the poor, Ruth ends up in the kingdom and a big part of it. And then, you know, Jesus is born. And if you think about it, Jesus has been considered, he's far greater than King David because his kingship has extended across time and across all nations more than any other leader in history. It's a pretty incredible story. What happens? This this marriage that comes from this kind of ingenious social contract that God had created Um, and then the way it impacts us, because we worship the Jesus that came from this story, and we are connected, therefore, with Ruth. Um, But the story is so complicated, and and as it is with the concept of missions, who's reaching who, who's saving who? We tend to think of the the missionary equation like this. Um, Some people have faith and resources, um, and they go find people without faith and resources, and they help them. And they give them the resources, right? But God often doesn't follow that equation. Think about Ruth. Um, God's people, remember, were worshiping idols and spiraling into chaos. In fact, they continue to after she comes over. Her family is one of the healthy ones, one of the few. Um, Things were not good in Israel. Elimelech and Naomi were fleeing to Moab for shelter from the spiritual, environmental, and political issues Their boys marry outside of God's revealed will. God had told them not to intermarry, but they did. Um, And then all the men die. Naomi loves Ruth and Orpah, and she testifies that God is against her, and so she's not in positivity mode. And Ruth comes into God's people despite all of that. And what does that mean? It means that Ruth has more faith than most of God's people. Like, who, who's teaching who <laughs> in this scenario? Like, is Ruth the poor lost soul? Or is the person from God's people, Naomi, very near a lost soul who finds a person outside of the people of God who has more faith than she does, who comes alongside of her and walks with her? And, or, or is it both? I think it's both. Both. They both brought some things to the table. It was very complimentary. Um, God blesses Israel by bringing Ruth into it, but Ruth never would have been brought into it had it not been for Naomi. And what does it, at the end of the day, come down to? The key thing that made that happen was their love for one another, their love. That was the, the key ingredient. Maybe to be an effective missionary, all you need is love. Maybe that's all you need. Maybe you don't need to say all the right things. Maybe you don't even need to be sure right now. You just need to love. The New Testament will reiterate this, right? Paul teaches that love is often the missing ingredient. He goes on and on about, without love, our words are like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal just going to try this just for fun. No love. That's annoying. Maybe when we do things without love, it's annoying. (laughs) Does that, does that (laughs) illustrate it? Maybe that is the missing ingredient. You just don't do that stuff, and you love others. Maybe that'd be really powerful. Leo, our friend in Mexico, um, oh, yeah, I got a good picture of Leo. Here, here you go. There's Leo and Michaela. This is him telling his story, by the way, which was kind of fun. He was telling Michaela's story on the beach. Um, his, his story doesn't follow the formula either. He got involved, so he had he had come up uh, to the US. He was kind of running away from his parents. He would say he was not in a good place, not not doing the right thing, pretty rebellious. Um, and he gets to LA, he gets into America, and there he becomes, and this is his words, he said, I became very racist because he moved into an all-Mexican neighborhood, and they hated the blacks, and they started kind of turf warring, and there was drug stuff going on. And he said, the blacks were my enemies. like." At, Like, that's where he was. Um, And then he, and he'd heard, because he'd grown up in, like, Catholic circles and stuff, like, general stuff about Christianity was always there for him. He'd heard about it, but nothing had ever really made sense or clicked with him. Um, And and drugs at this point and other temptations just had him by the throat. And then, then one day, he's headed into a convenience store, and a guy comes up to him and says, hey, can I share something with you? And and it was a black guy, and he said, he's like, I don't know why I even stopped, because this is somebody I would have been like, leave me, like, get off me, like, get away, like, just not who he would interact with, Um, but it was a black guy with a ministry that was out sharing about Jesus, and he saw that Leo had a needle behind his ear, and he concluded from seeing that, that he was in a bad place, because he didn't even care if he got arrested, like, if he's just wearing his needle on his ear, like, He's like, I don't even care anymore, and he was right. And this this guy thought maybe this is the time to talk to this dude. And Leo opened up to what he had to say, and he says, I don't know why, um, but he uh, he was in that low of a place, and the guy just shared the basics of the gospel, like, hey, Jesus died for your sins. You don't have to live this way. You can you can you can change. Like base like something very simple. And Leo said that he. Um, he had, it, it, it hit, it worked, it like clicked, like I need that, that's true. He'd heard it a thousand times, but that time it worked. And, uh, and he ended up getting into a program, going through a pretty long detox. And he even said, he's like, the amazing thing is the way God decided to like break into my life, also like he went after my racism with, like in the very moment, he chose the most unlikely person to talk to me. The one you would not strategize. If you went, who, who do you send to this guy? You don't send the guy he's never going to listen to. You send somebody he's going to listen to. Well, God sent the guy he was never going to listen to. And he worked through it. Like, maybe the most important thing is love. This guy cared enough to speak. He cared enough to see where he was at and to give it a try. And Leo could sense something. And he listened. And I think God uh, was at work as well. Um, going to Mexico, it's a misconception that we bring all the resources. We didn't try to say that we were doing that, but it can feel that way, right? Like we all, like those of us who went, we paid, right? And we went down, and we know how to build things, sort of. Um, but the uh, but it's a misconception that we brought all the resources. The, the families whose house, the family whose house we worked on, in many ways is more wealthy than we are. I'm convinced. Um, they are content with far less. Um, In if wealth were gauged by contentment, we are impoverished and they are wealthy. Um, They were like nonstop generous to us. Like we were struggling with like pain. They sell things on the beach and they were trying to give us all of it. And the son was like going to the store, getting cold soda and ice to share with us. Meanwhile, he's sleeping in the car. Um, like, and we're kind of going, you know, what? And we're trying, you know, no, no, no. And then Michaela did a great job because she realized, and this is something I know you value a lot, is like when you're trying to be generous, to allow somebody to be generous. Like there was a point where it was like, okay, like I'm, I've argued, I've argued, I've argued. It's time to allow her to be generous because that's dignifying. And, and I think, and I think it was, and you did well with that, um, and uh, but the, they were generous. We we think we're generous, you know. Like I think I'm I'm saying me right now mostly, because like I can afford to go. Like that was a big conversation. And a lot of us had. Can we afford to go? Right? And like those who could afford to go went or or whatever. Um, these people could not afford to give us coke, but they gave us coke and Fanta and a hat and bracelets, like they just kept giving and they absolutely could not afford it. Um, if, if wealth you know, has to do with how generous a person is, they are wealthier. They have more generosity than we do. I think that we were part of an exchange while we were there. I don't think we were the ones who came and loved I think we came with some love and they came with some love and we met at a table and we shared it across the table two ways. That's what I think happened. Um, and, and it was great. I think it witnessed to the kingdom of God um, because it was shared, because love was given two different ways. Um, the simplest way to describe the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus loves us. Um, And the simplest way to describe discipleship is learning to love Jesus back. And the simplest way to describe what God has called us to do is to go love others as he has loved us. The equation is pretty simple, and it's not us with the resources giving. It's us giving what we have and receiving every single time. the Apostle John taught us that God loved all of us in this world so much that he gave his only son so whoever believes in him will not die but will have everlasting life and we're gonna have it in a city full of people from all tribes, tongues, peoples, and languages, even Aztec folks from Sonora, right? And we'll see them there. So Cruz, you uh, again, you powerfully taught us What we offer is a kingdom that Jesus has offered to us by his love, and we say to other people, I want you there. I'm really hoping you'll be there. And I think that's pretty powerful. And the way that we become that kind of person is to receive love from Jesus constantly. So that's why we're invited to his table. Um, This evening, uh, I'm going to pray now, and then there's going to be our two minutes of silent reflection. I just want us to Think about any any element of that that you need to pray through or ask God about. If there's an unloving side of you you need to confess or if you just need help with this or even some clarity, just ask God for it. I really believe that um, increasingly so that when we ask God for things that are good, he gives them to us. So let's let's ask. And then when you're invited up here, um, when Mike starts to play the worship and we come to receive the Lord's Supper, Remember, you're coming with empty hands, receiving from Jesus, but then he sends you with the same love that he's offered to you to give it away. And let's live out of that. Let's just try living out of that this week. So we're going to uh, do these three things. We're going to worship together. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together while we sing. And then we have giving as a part of that. We have that in the back. There will be an iPad. There isn't yet. Um, but guys, um, for us to do the kind of stuff we did on this trip, like, we have to have the resources to do it. And we really, uh, we, we want to acknowledge that, like, we don't all bring it to the table ourselves. We need this to be kind of a collaborative effort, and we want to do more stuff like this. We want to do more stuff like this locally. So I hope you see that when you give, that's what we're doing with it. Um, and we'd love to take more people with us, because next year we're in a surplus and we say it's cheaper. So we could start working on that right now. Um, I'm going to pray and leave that two minutes of silence for, uh, for all of you, and then we'll come up and take the Lord's Supper and sing together. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I am grateful uh, that you got us all back safely um, from Mexico. Um, thank you that the Udarian's car was not impounded at the border. Um, thank you for our friends, our family of God here that we get to join with. Uh, we praise you for the good things that happened there. Uh, thank you for what's happening in the book of Ruth. Thank you for the amazing story that you knit together, um, that you overcame uh, Naomi's poverty and loss and even anger with you, and you worked through it and brought about um, not only a great king for Israel, but a redeemer of all of God's people through that, that simple and complex, yet, yet complex story. And I pray that you would use our stories in the lives of others for your glory and lead us now as we pray.